Well, Father, this morning we are just so grateful for all that you've done for us and our hearts are full of worship for you. And uh, we just declare this, this time as we just gather around your name that something special would happen, Lord, that we'd truly encounter you and your grace and your mercy, and your power, your wonder, Lord, that we would truly encounter you this morning. And we just give you all the glory and all the honour in Jesus' mighty name we pray. We thank you. Amen. 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 Well, why don't you take a seat at home? Why don't you take a seat? <laughs> Get nice and comfy. Take a lounge. Take a, take a stool, whatever. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Team muscles. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, how good is the rain? Enjoying that? Like, I hope, I hope everybody fertilised their garden, uh, you know, because the uh, spring rains here. It's beautiful. And so everything's just going to take off now, which is just fantastic. I just pray there's something spiritually significant about that for all of us, that something might take off after today. Amen? That, that feels good, doesn't it? The idea of something taking off. Well, we're, we're doing our uh, sort of a, a little bit of a sort of sub-series in our Going Deeper and uh, Pastor Rick started it off last week, you know, building, building an altar uh, to the Lord. And of course, you know, we've just been really prayerful. I mean, this year just didn't go the way any of us planned, although the, the theme has kind of been just perfect. And I guess we always seek, seek God's heart on that. And so, you know, the whole going deeper, stretching wider, wow, amazing. Uh, couldn't have picked a better one, really, for for how the events have worked out. But everything else, you know, the calendar got scratched. I don't think I've referred to the calendar much. Has anyone else referred to their calendar? Oh, that was like, yeah, that's it's it's pretty pretty changed. Um, but uh, and so we certainly didn't didn't really know where uh, the this theme was going to take us, or you know, just just how that was going to to look and. And then, you know, Rick really felt this stirring a few weeks ago about building an altar to the Lord and it just, it felt right. You know, he started unpacking that with us as a team and we just knew that there was just something, just kind of, I suppose, the breath of God on it. You know, there's something really important for us in this. And so he, he began sharing and, and of course he, he shared on the story of Joshua leading the people of Israel across the Jordan into the Promised Land. And, you know, there was no way of crossing it. It said that it, it really was probably... Um, um, it was sort of around harvest time, I, I don't know, rains traditionally, it said that the, the water was spilling over the banks, it was so full. Uh, and so it was quite an impossible task to cross this river with the, you know, the tens of thousands of people that they had. And, uh, and yet God made a way. And, uh, you know, as soon as the priests with the Ark of the Covenant, as soon as their feet entered the water, uh, the waters begin to recede and a dry bed is revealed and the people of Israel walk across this dry bed. And along the way, of course, they, they notice these stones and Joshua says, okay, one from each tribe, I want you to grab, grab a stone. We're going we're gonna to build a memorial. Uh, we're going to build essentially like an altar that, that uh, speaks to the generations of what God has done here. Because we've encountered God. We've encountered a miracle here. You know, and you see, you see all through uh, the through scriptures. You know, these altars being built in these moments, uh, signified of an encounter with God. Whether it was about 
a covenant or a promise that God was making or about a sacrifice, a commitment to God, just establishing his sovereignty, his lordship. Yet again, uh, there was this really important moment that happened at an altar. So I was thinking about this, this trip through the Jordan and I'm going to have a bit of fun with, a, you know, the metaphor of, of this, you know, because I feel like, you know, the year 2020 is a little bit like a Jordan River that we're trying to get across to get to the other side. And, uh, but I do believe that there are stones to collect uh, in, that, in that pathway. Um, and I, I, recently we had a little holiday and uh, we went down to Kendall's Beach down at Kiama there and um, Neve and... Ramy joined us for a little bit, and we we went looking for stones in the uh, in the in the little river that ran into the into the beach, and uh, we found these stones. We were actually looking for stones that Jesse could skim, you know, across the waves. Anyone like doing that, just skimming across the waves? Yeah. <laughs> and um, and so we 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 found we we found some quite enormous ones. Actually, the the biggest one was found by Ramy, which was quite hilarious watching her try and struggle out of the <laughs> out of the creek bed with this huge stone. But they kind of all look like this, but just on a different scale. And and uh, so uh, I'm just going to build my little altar for a minute. You're right, Wes, I can't do it. <laughs> I did it before perfectly, but, you know, fail. But anyway, I've, I bought these visuals. because I'm a visual person and I like visual things uh, when I'm imagining, uh, you know, uh, these stories. And, and so here's, here's the people of God. They're picking out their stones out of the dry bed of the Jordan and they, they're stacking them up and making this, this memorial altar of what God has done. And so I was thinking about this year and the fact that, in the midst of this, you know, pandemic and the restrictions and the frustrations and the disappointments and cancelled weddings and whatever, you know, that, that actually God still has significant stones to present to us. And they, you know, these stones, have, they're rounded because they've kind of been tossed about a bit. <laughs> you know, they've been kind of ground into the sandy bottom bed of the, of the river. Um, they've been knocked by other stones. They've been chipped away and they've become this sort of round, smooth stone. And I thought, oh God, that's, that's actually really speaking to me about sometimes the things that you do in our lives. And, and you know, you kind of can feel a little knocked about and ground down and the, and the edges knocked off. But actually, um, that's a good process, isn't it? That's, that's how character is formed in us. That's, that's how we learn the, the, the things of God. It's often through, uh, you know, through times of hardship or suffering, or, you know, when, when we really encounter God in a, in a meaningful way. And, and so I, I, I started to think about that. It's like, okay, God, you know, I'm, I want to add my stone to the altar as we, you know, pressing into this theme and seeing what it is that God wants to speak to us about. Last week, and Pastor Rick talked about how our, our marriages and our family and our, you know, our children can really become an altar stone, that we can really live, live our lives in our homes with our families in a way that is, that is like a testimony, really. Each stone is like a testimony to what God has done in our lives. And um, certainly, uh, I think of, you know, we, we say that because <laughs> Rick and I, our marriage has been like a stone in the riverbed, <laughs> ground, <laughs> rolled, crushed, 
chipped away. And and God has done this miracle in our in our life. And you know, 31 years of marriage, uh, there was a time when I wasn't sure we were going to make it. And, and yet we've hung on to God and we've hung on to the principles of God and we've you know we've we've pressed through and now we've got this smooth stone. Uh, of our marriage, uh, which actually is now a testimony of the things that God has done in us. Uh, and, and so I, I was thinking, well, God, what's, what are the other stones? You know, what are those things that you have done in our lives, uh, you know, and in my life uh, that, that has uh, really become a testimony? And, uh, you know, I don't know what that looks like for you. And maybe it's a, a marriage in trouble that found strength and restoration just just by applying some uh, by applying some biblical truths to it maybe it's financial crisis uh, but when you applied the truth of the of the scripture when you've been obedient to that you've seen your finances come in order or maybe it's crippling fear that has has just been met by the power of God and you you've been set free or or a season of depression and you found the comfort of the Holy Ghost and the encouragement of the Holy Ghost and, and it's, it's brought you through. I don't know what those stones look like, but I want to encourage you that they're there. And even as we walk through this, uh, this river of 2020, there will be things to collect and, uh, and to treasure and that will testify to the goodness and power of God. We've got to look for them. We've got to look for them because they were walking through that river and they could have got to the other side and moved on and not noticed it. But Joshua said, well, hang on, we have to pause. Go back, pick up a stone. We're going to testify. And so there's a moment for us, I think, I believe, that we've got to pause and look. What is it, God, that you've done in my life? You know, it was a few months ago we met with um, our leaders and we actually asked the question, uh, I know we've mentioned it before, you know, what have you, what have you gained that you don't want to lose this year? And, and it was really interesting because uh, I think everyone was sort of so focused on the negative, but actually when we started to look at uh, the, the gains that we've made, everyone was full of them. They, they were like, oh my gosh, well, more time with family. Or I've always wanted to work from home and finally we sort of had to and that was a great experiment. It's working really well. Or, or um, you know, I've, I've noticed my neighbours. I've noticed their need. I've noticed the need of people around me. I just didn't notice it before. I was too busy. I never even spoke to my neighbour before. Suddenly we're speaking at the bottom of the driveway, you know. There were, there were things like that happening. Uh, there, were, there were good gains that we don't want to lose. And, and I, I feel that... Um, even now, there's a sort of a ratcheting up of, you know, activity and busyness again, even though it's under new conditions and new restrictions, a new normal, I hate that expression, but anyway, here we are, um, <laughs> where we, we're doing life. And there, there is that question of making sure that we don't lose the gains. You know, we, we've gained some things. There are, there are still stones to collect on the way. We want to grab those stones. We want to make that altar... We want to testify to the goodness of God in our life. So, so for me personally, uh, you know, as I've reflected on the stones in my life, there was one that really stood out as being incredibly powerful and the place of ultimate encounter with God. And that is simply the stone of repentance. The stone of repentance. I looked up the dictionary. I thought I'll find a good dictionary meaning for you. Uh, and uh, it was interesting because when I was looking at it, it actually had this little graph that showed how frequently that word is used in our general English vernacular. And of course, uh, 100 years ago, it's quite high. And now it's quite low. <laughs> the, uh, the use of that word is it's just not part of our regular vernacular. And yet we find it all through Scripture. 
Repentance means deep sorrow, compunction or contrition for a past sin, wrongdoing or the like. A regret for any past action. Repentance, some have referred to it as a 180 degree turnaround. You are going that way, now you're going that way. But there's something deeply emotional about repentance and, uh, and we're going to talk about it. So it's a constant theme in the Bible. And, and as I began to sort of study the word on, on, on repentance and read different stories, there was a particular passage that really drew me in. And it's actually from Jeremiah. And it's a, it's a sad story because Israel, you know, it had this terrible habit of, uh, you know, it would repent and do well and, you know, get rid of their idols and worship God again and be in a place of strength again. And then Something would happen and, you know, they would begin to fall away. They would begin to compromise and evil would enter and, and it just, it was a mess. And so God would send his prophets and they'd come along and, and if they weren't, you know, murdered by the Israelites for speaking the truth, they would come with a strong, you know, prophetic voice and it would be, repent, come on, guys, repent, what are you doing? Um, get back to what, what you know is right. And, uh, and so here we find this in Jeremiah. We find Jeremiah is, is really, he's, he's made his plea, Israel's not hearing, and uh, it's not looking good. And I'm probably going to need my glasses for this. Okay, here we go. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 13 to 16. For from the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. And from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, Oh, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed. They did not know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall at the time that I punish them. They shall be overthrown, says the Lord. And thus says the Lord, Stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. We will not walk in it. This really took my eye because I thought of that, that, that um, the line there where it says that they weren't at all, all ashamed. They didn't even know how to blush. And I thought, wow, that sounds like the world we live in today. I, doesn't it? It like, so sounds like the world we live in today. My goodness. It, it's, like, uh, it's like the world has found a way to just do away with the concept of sin altogether. So long as you understand why I've made the choices I've made and why I've landed here, so long as you can respect that this is my truth, my lived experience. Don't you love that? Lived experience. You know, the latest phrases that, have, that are out. You know, so long as, so long as you are accepting of my, my truth, you know, uh, it, it's not sin. It's not wrong. There's no wrong or right anymore. It's my truth. I'm living to my truth. You live to your truth. I live to my truth. But if your truth, you know, judges my truth, you're in trouble. You know, like, you, you can't make me feel bad about my truth. This is my truth. And this is the way the world is living today. Uh, and there's, there's absolutely this sense where no one's actually embarrassed about the choices that they're making in their life at all. There's no, there's no sense that it's wrong. <laughs> it's just not there anymore. There's no blushing. <laughs> but you know, the shocking conclusion of a world that no longer believes in sin is realising that if there's no sin, there's no need for a saviour. So if I were the devil, 
Like he, he couldn't work out what Jesus was doing when Jesus was doing it. It was only in reflection. He's like, done. shouldn't have crucified him. That's exactly what he wanted all along. <laughs> played, I just played right into his hand. Darn it. So now what is the devil going to do? Right, a saviour came. It dealt with, dealt, he, Jesus dealt with sin. He dealt with the problem of separation of, of man and, and God. And, and so what, what am I going to do if I'm the devil? Well, I'm just going to undo the reason that Jesus is needed. I'll just undo that. And then I can just completely not have to acknowledge Jesus. It's a, it's a you know, no need for a saviour if there's no sin. And this is the world that we live in today. They don't know how to blush. They're not embarrassed. They, ha- they no longer acknowledge sin. But, but here's the problem with that. God is still God. And He still will have, make a requirement of us. He will st- we will still have to account for our life before Him. You know, we, whether, whether, we, whether we reconcile that in this life or whether we stand before Him in the next, we are going to have to give an account for our life. And while we may reason away your sin, sin still exists and the need for a saviour still very much exists today. We can't pretend that there's no consequences for adopting that position. We can't escape it. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. That's it. <laughs> there's, it, there's definite consequences for, for our sin. So we sort of think, well, what, what is sin today? You know, like, what, what is it? Because uh, so much of what we've traditionally understood as sin, people just have now, you know, ex- they've got, got good excuses for, they've got good reasons for, they've, they've been able to reason it away. So, you know, of course, we think of the, the Ten Commandments, we think of the biggies. Well, don't, don't lie, don't steal, don't, don't kill. Don't commit adultery. I suppose they're the big, they're the big ones. So oh, I can tick that box. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good. Thanks, Naomi. I'm, I'm, I've got the big ones covered. I'm right, right to go. Yeah, except that it's not quite that easy, is it? <laughs> we have to kind of go back to the very beginning of the story uh, to, to understand. And so I want to go back to the book of Genesis, which tells the story of the creation of the world. It, it sets up the great dilemma that, that we uh, have and our need for a saviour. And so we're, I'm going to go from Genesis chapter 2. Glasses again. It's because I put my verses in pink and they just don't stand out on the page. <laughs> so the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So God establishes this beautiful garden. He gives Adam purpose. He, he gives him a mission. He gives him, you know, the, the order to be fruitful and multiply, he and Eve. And he sets him in this beautiful garden. But, but he establishes something really important that we all need to know. And that is that he gave us a free will. He gave us choice. He put one tree he said, you can have all of this, all of this magnificence. But I am putting one tree there so that you know that you have a choice. You've got a choice. And this is, a, this is really important for us to understand about who God is. Genesis chapter 3 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, Oh, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, 
you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And then the eyes of both were opened and they knew they were naked. You know, at the very heart of this decision that Adam and Eve made was this idea that they knew better. They knew better than God. They reasoned that they knew better than God. Sounds like the world we live in today, right? We know better than God. We know better than what the Bible teaches. We know better. That's just old, old stuff. But God's asking us to look for the ancient paths, the good way, and to walk in it. You know, uh, you know that, that's why, you know, living the world that we live in today, you know, every biblical principle that underpins our Western civilization essentially is being challenged right now. It's, it's quite incredible. Because uh, if I were the devil, that's what I'd do, right? So we see that outworking of it on the world stage and, you know, we can shake our head and be very concerned. But actually, it has a sneaky way of manifesting itself in our own hearts. Even as believers, we can do the same thing in our own heart. Well, God told me to trust him with my finances, but Jesus told me to forgive, but The Bible teaches me to live for others, but we have a way of completing that sentence in our own in our own way. But we reason, we we have a way of reasoning uh, our way to determining that we know better about our lives and our choices, our days. We know better than, than God knows. Well, I believe that God is calling us to a place of repentance. Because he knows better. And he's asking us to trust him in every issue of our life. And we can trust him, you know, because he is a tender-hearted Father God who's just calling his willful, rebellious children. Ezekiel 18.32 says, For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies, declares the Lord God. Therefore, repent and live. He wants us to live. You know, Jesus came with the same message the same cry in Matthew 4:17 it says from that time Jesus began to preach saying repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand he's like he's addressing it's like okay you've been living a certain way i'm asking you to stop what you're doing soften your heart surrender your heart because the kingdom of heaven is here and everything's about to be different and i don't know about you but when you've had an encounter with god you know you're one way before you meet him You meet him and you are a completely other way after you've met him. That is really hard to explain to people, right? Unless you've experienced it. But when you encounter Jesus, you are never the same again. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The apostles came with the same message after Jesus had returned to heaven. Peter in Acts chapter 3, 19 says, Therefore repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. 
You know what stops us from entering real rest? We think we know better. There's just something that we're holding back from God. When we completely trust Him, when we completely commit to Him, when we have repented and turned to Him, something happens. We're not in charge. God's got it. He's got it. We can just sit back and let Him take us on the journey. That's real rest. When we've got to be in charge, when we've got to determine our steps, that's stress. (laughs) That's worry. That's fear. That's weight. But when God's got it completely, when we've given it over to Him, that is real rest, true rest. That's why it's only when we come in that, with that heart of repentance to the Lord that we, that's when we really experience it. You know, a lot of people when they first come to Jesus and they feel that weight of sin lifted off them. They just feel so light. Do you remember that? It was a long time ago for me. But, you know, I have these moments, these regular moments of repentance before the Lord where I didn't realise I was carrying a weight. But then I repent to the Lord. I give it over to Him. I feel light. It's a place of true refreshing, of true rest. And even in the time of great falling away of believers, even then God will send times of great refreshing for His people. And I believe that that is what God wants to do for His church, for His people right now in 2020, in the midst of all of this. He wants to send a wave of refreshing to us. I want to suggest to you that repentance is the doorway to that. Repentance is the doorway. It's funny trying to teach small children how to say sorry. We've got small children going on in our world. Won't mention any names. But, you know, when there's an altercation between them and uh, you want them to apologise, there's the quick version of sorry, just make it go away. I want to get on and play. I don't want, you know, I've been taken away from my play moment and it's really inconveniencing me to have to say sorry. So I'm just going to say it as quickly as possible and move on with exactly what I was doing in the first place. Or there is that moment where you get them to acknowledge what they've done, acknowledge the pain they've caused, wrap their arms around the other person and say sorry from a humble place. Even more humble when they are disciplined in the process. You know, there is a great humility that comes in that saying sorry. And I think we have to understand that repentance isn't a dry old thing. It's a deeply emotional thing. It's a deep, deep heartfelt thing. It's not just a mental decision, a mental assent. Oh, sorry, God, I was in control. Now you're in control. No, there's something deeply emotional about repentance. Joel chapter 2, verses 12 to 13 actually kind of shows us a little bit of what that looks like. It says, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart and with fasting, weeping and mourning. And rend your heart, not your garments. In other words, don't make some outward display. Don't make a performance. Let it be something so real that it actually rends your heart. Now return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and relenting of evil. You know, I've encountered God at that mercy seat in such tangible ways that I cannot deny his existence. I just can't deny it. Even even in my troubled younger years when I wanted to 
have a little rebellious moment. I was like, darn it, I just can't deny the fact that I've encountered God. <laughs> I can't blame my parents. I can't say I've got my parents' religion. Darn it, because I've actually encountered Him. I've met Him face to face. Darn it, darn it, darn it. <laughs> but that encounter changes you. That encounter at the mercy seat. And we don't get to the mercy seat without a heart of repentance. You know, I was thinking about that. I was, I was thinking about what it, what it takes to, to get to that point. And I thought, you know, it's only really when I have let myself see the ugliness of my own willfulness, my own rebellious heart, when I've seen the ugliness, it's sort of like finally, finally getting a, a mirror held up to me to, to show that I'm acting like a five-year-old having a temper tantrum with God. You know, we can reason it and make it sound very adult and mature, but actually it's like a five-year-old having a tantrum with God. I don't, I don't like the way you're doing this. I don't like the hand you've dealt me. I don't like the trials and the tribulations that I'm going through. I don't like the weight. I don't like the frustration. I don't like this suffering. I don't like this, you know. And we're really, in, inside, it's like a five-year-old having a tantrum. <laughs> but there, there comes this point where we see the ugliness of that, of the willfulness of that, rebelliousness of that lack of surrender to God and we say God I'm so sorry I repent I repent of that and we get such a rush of the spirit of God attending us in that moment Ella do you want to jump on the keys for me I think we're all desperate for a fresh encounter with God desperate for a fresh encounter and it's amazing how things can just sneak up. You know, I recently had my little uh, stone of repentance moment. I have them regularly, probably not as regularly as I should. And, I, and I, I, don't, I don't think we kind of, you know, this has been abused in the past, right? This is real personal. This is you and God stuff. This is not the preacher beating you over the head with a hellfire and brimstone message, okay? This is between you and God, this stone of repentance. This is personal. The stones we collect to build our altar are really personal. <laughs> this is what Rick was trying to say last week, you know, and they're going to be unique. And uh, what's been an important stone to you might might not maybe be as significant as as me, but it's so personal because these are the these are the testimony stones. These are these are our testimony stones. It's it's unique. It looks really different for each of us. But there's something, something about that stone of repentance, you know. I, I had my recent moment with God where I, I, I realised I'd somehow I'd just been quietly angry with God that He hadn't come back yet. <laughs> it's like, God, this world's a mess. Hurry up. <laughs> where are you? I'm waiting. You know, how much more tragedy has to happen? How much, you know, how, how much more sad things have to happen on the earth? Why are you delaying? And inside I was building up a bit of a, like an anger towards God that He hadn't come back yet. And I, I know you probably have a little laugh at me, but here I am having a little cry <laughs> because I realised God had to, He had to have this moment with me and say, Naomi, I've still got things I've got to do. And I had to get down on my knees very tearful. It was ugly cry. I'm going to try not to do that on camera today, an ugly cry. But I have to get down on my knees and say, okay, you're God. You're still God. You're still sovereign. I repent for my, my heart that sort of had almost given up. It's 
you know, it's too much, given up and realised, no, no, there's actually still things to do. There's still things to do. That's why he tarries. And so I had my little stone of repentance moment where I got that right with God. I don't know what your stone of repentance moment looks like. I've literally got in my notes, don't cry. <laughs> because every time I would read through my notes, I'd start to cry. And then <laughs> I'm like, I'm not telling them that story. <sighs> but we're desperate for an encounter with God. And I want to tell you, it starts with repentance. It's what John the Baptist said. Hey, repent. Something's coming. Repent. Jesus said, Repent. I'm actually here now. <laughs> the thing that's coming's here. Hello. Kingdom of heaven. <laughs> repent. There is something significant about the doorway of repentance, about softening our heart and surrendering it to God and being humble to God. I don't know. Perhaps you're watching the service today on live stream. I don't always cry. Sorry. <laughs> and uh, maybe you've never had that encounter with him. I want to tell you, He's so real and He so loves you. And sin is real and the consequences of sin is real. And we will have our day of reckoning before the Lord. Each one of us has our day of reckoning before the Lord. And I want to tell you that one encounter with the Lord will change your life forever. And it just begins with this simple thing called repentance. Acts 17.30 says, Therefore, being, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. We're building an altar in our lives to God. I'm not sure that you can build anything for God without embracing the stone of repentance. We're going to have a moment to minister and I'm just going to ask those in the auditorium with me to just stand at home, take whatever posture you need to take. And we're just going to ask God to examine our heart. I'm not here to examine you. That's between you and God. <laughs> Would you have a moment right now where you allow God to examine your heart? Are you angry with God about something? Do you feel a bitterness in your heart? This is something He's been asking you to do, but you've been reasoning a better way, a different way. Because today is a reminder that there is rest and refreshing on the other side of repentance. And it's just time to let it go. So Lord, we just come to you this morning or wherever and whenever the service is being watched online and Lord we just declare your Lordship over our lives now, I just pray for those that may not have called you Lord and Saviour yet and may not have had that revelation that today you might move in their hearts and that they might encounter you in that beautiful tangible way that undeniable way that changes us forever. 
Lord God, I pray that we would rend our hearts in repentance to You. We wouldn't be hard or proud. We wouldn't glorify our own reasoning above the truth of You. God, that our truth will be subject to Your truth. God, that You would come and minister to us in a powerful way. Lord, I just pray that we would be face to face with the true ugliness of our own willfulness in a way that we can lay it down with no regret. Minister to us today. We call on You. We call on You, Jesus. And thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. And Strong Nation Church said, we will walk in it. Why don't you say those words? We will walk in it. Come on, you on the lounge at home, say it. We will walk in it. Yes, Lord, we will walk in it. We will walk in the ancient paths. We will walk in the good ways. We will walk in obedience to Your Word. We will walk in obedience to the truth of who You are. And Lord Jesus, I pray You minister to every life, every person, Lord God, and that the stone of repentance would become one of those stones in our altar to You, Lord God. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to go and fix up my makeup. And uh, (laughs) we're going to dismiss the house services right now. You might want to have a moment of communion together, a moment of fellowship and, uh, you know, just maybe some ministry. And uh, so we love you guys. We release the house services now. See you later.